Hey everybody, Pastor Worth here for West Seattle Christian Church Online. If you are new, welcome. If not, welcome back. And we're going to jump right in today. Last couple weeks we've been talking about growing in Christ. And last week we talked about your part and another person's part and God's part in that process. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about God's part. But before we jump into that, I want to do just a little bit of review with a graph that we've been working with. So as a reminder, this comes from Matthew 22 where Jesus gives us kind of uh, the definition, his definition of spiritual growth. And he says that it hinges on loving God and loving, loving others. So we put that on this graph so we can visualize it. And we asked everyone last week to look at this graph and decide where are you on it? Remember, Jesus says that maturing means increasing in our capacity to do both of these things, loving God and loving others, deepening our relationship with God and deepening our relationship with other people. And the question is, what does that look like? First and foremost, it means that you need to create space in your life for both of those. It means not just intentionality. So being intentional is good to make time with God, but being intentional to make time for other people as well. And more than intentionality, it means wanting to implement a particular and specific practice and then putting some accountability into place to make good on those intentions. Because practices eat intentions for lunch. And it's important to remember that you have to make space and intentionality to do practices in both of these axes, the, the vertical and the horizontal, with God and with others. If you only make space for one of these and then you get off balance, like for instance, if you're concentrating just on people on the horizontal axis, like that's all you're about, but you don't have God's character in your life, then you're going to kind of end up irrelevant or worse than that, dangerous. And if you're all about God, but you don't care about people, then you can kind of become a legalistic jerk, like you're all about the list of rules, and you're going to act unkindly to people, like we've talked about in the past few weeks. Or once again, you're just irrelevant because you don't share what you know and what you practice with other people. So what we're talking about here is a combination of the two axes, a marriage of the two, where you live within this boundary or this bandwidth of energy slash capacity, and you try to deepen it by being intentional and implementing specific practices into your life. And as a reminder, we talked about how you have to figure out what your energy or capacity it is. So what that number is. So it doesn't mean that you are going to have to, you're going to have the capacity to have good relationships with 25 people if you know you're only wired with the capacity to deal with, say, like five people really well. What it does mean is that you can deepen your capacity for relationship with those five people. And it might give you the ability once in a while for you to be able to deal with a few more people than that. Uh, maturity means figuring out what your capacity is and then working on deepening it. So you don't want to be overextended in terms of your capacity, but you also don't want to be underutilized. And at the end of the teaching from last week, I talked about three parts in terms of relationship with God and other people. There's God's part, and then there's their part, the part that they have to do. And then there's my part. That's what I'm responsible for. Today, I want to focus on God's part. And you might say, well, that sounds backwards if you listen to last week's message. Like, why aren't we starting with our part? Well, that's a good question. But the reason we're starting with God's part is so we don't get confused about what we are responsible to do and what God is responsible to do. What we're responsible for and what God's responsible for. If you get those out of whack, it leads to some problems. And our tendency is to start with us. And we want, we want to jump right in and fix things that are under our own power. And that's not entirely bad, but it's really important when it comes to how you will disciple and invest in other people. 
So if you don't understand what, what your role is to play and what God's role is to play, things can get kind of messed up. But generally, I find it's good practice to start with God. Starting with our part isn't bad, but it can become kind of, kind of spiritual navel-gazing, where we're just trying to grow spiritually for our own sake and for nobody else's sake. Starting with God and His part and His plan and His purposes helps you understand why it's important to even grow in the first place. And so, if you want to live your best life where God is blessing you as you move, breathe, and live within life, it makes a whole lot more sense to find out what God's part is and what he's up to and where he's working and join him there in that work rather than the alternative where we kind of try to manipulate or kind of possibly coerce God to be part of what we think we should be doing. So we want to know where God is working and what he's up to and join him in that and get involved in that because I don't know about you, I don't know if you realize this or not, but he's God and we're not. And, and he thinks you're amazing. You're pretty amazing, but you're not God. God is God, which means he has not only the ability, but the right to kind of set the boundaries and the rules for life. And so to begin with, let's talk about why that is for a minute. And there's a lot of ways to do this, but when we're talking about God's right to set the boundaries for living, another word for that is God's sovereignty, by the way, if you've ever heard that term, then a really good place to start in the Bible is to talk about uh, the book of Job about God's sovereignty. Job is one of those books that deals with some really hard stuff, like why do bad things happen to good people? Another thing it deals with is kind of like in your life, if, if God took everything away from you, would God be enough? Like if God was all you had, would that be enough for you? But here's the cool thing. We've talked about uh, a very kind of literary term called a chiastic structure before, where there's a, it's a literary device that kind of mirrors itself in the text. And in the middle of this text, this device called a chiasm, you find the treasure that the author is pointing you to, the main point. And Job has this chiastic structure. And in the middle, the treasure that you find is in Job 28. So your homework is to go read all of Job 28. And it begins with the author of Job kind of giving an account of all these amazing things that humans can do and humans can accomplish. It's like God says, humanity is incredibly amazing. But the passage winds down and like centers its focus upon verses 20 through 28. And when the author asks this, from where does wisdom come and where can understanding be found? So because these are more valuable than all of humanity's genius and all of humanity's ability to strive for stuff that has value, the author says the most valuable thing is actually wisdom. And the passage ends with the author saying in verse 28 of chapter 28, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So that's the point of the whole book of Job. The book of Job is saying, you humans are capable of astounding and amazing things. And the treasures that you can uncover in this world are amazing. But none of them is as valuable as wisdom. And God is the only one who knows the source of that. God is the source of wisdom. So this whole section of Job is basically echoed in the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, uh, which ends with this verse, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So you could go read that passage as well. But when God gives us a way to do things in the world, it matters. That's what this is saying. No matter how well read you are, or how much you know about the Bible, or how well educated you are, or how smart you are, you can't come up with a better way to live this life than God can. You can't because God knows the source of wisdom and we do not. 
Hope that makes sense. There are things that only God can do. And when we see God doing these things, we must join him in his work. This is the way we're designed to live our life. But the problem for us is we have our own aspirations and our own wants for life. So we're like, God, I'm going to start this, this endeavor or this business. And I hope you're on board with that. Or I'm going to move here for whatever reason. Or I'm going to take this job because it pays more. Or because it's in this city. Or date or marry this person. And I hope you like my choices, God. Because that's what I'm going to do. And maybe he blesses it. And maybe he doesn't. But... If you want to live a blessed life like 100% of the time, then I encourage you to find where God is working and join him. And it's not hard. You might be like, how do I even do that? How do I even find what God is up to? It's really not complex. It's actually really simple. The problem is that we have to be dialed in spiritually, like relationship with God on the y-axis of the diagram. We have to be dialed in to observe what God is up to. So first, what I alluded to before is that you have to create space. You need some margin in your life, some blocked out calendar time to practice spiritual things, spiritual practices. Things like contemplation and prayer, introspection and solitude and rest and even specific prayers, not just random prayers, not just your wish list, but like the prayer of eximen and then maybe fasting. And we're going to talk about more of these in a few weeks, but... All these things help us dial in and focus on where to be on this chart so we can be more aware of what God's doing in the world. Once we're more aware of what he's doing in the world, then we know him more. My part is to create margin and space for a deeper relationship with God and more meaningful and deeper relationships with people. Either one of those that I'm avoiding is a problem. Like I said last week, if you're physically a part of a church, of any church, but if you're, especially our church, if you're part of our church and you're not in a kinfolk group, then that's something to work on. Stop avoiding it. Likewise, if you call yourself a Christian and you're not reading the scriptures, you're not praying, you're not part of a church, or, or you, know, you, don't, you know that you don't have the character of Christ that you should have or that you want, i.e. you're like a vampire Christian like we talked about last week, stop avoiding the hard work and figure out a plan. Preferably get with others and get to work. But God's job is to do the things he does. And because he's the source of wisdom, our part is to conform to that wisdom, not the other way around. So there's this raging battle in the theological world, which is centered around this question, can I change God's mind? Like it, you could make a case for this with some Old Testament stories, but you know, let me illustrate this for you. We're like, why pray if I can't change God's mind? Well, I'll tell you why. Prayer is not about your shopping list. Prayer is about your heart becoming like God's heart. So can you change God's mind? Well, maybe, but the question is, why would you want to? Because his way is better than anything you can come up with on your own. Unless you think you're smarter than God, which is the problem, right? Following his way is the one way that will always lead you to the fullest expression of your created purpose. So stop trying to come up with a better way. Do it his way, it always works better. And if you do that, you'll have peace. Like, like the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. So try to love like that because when you sit in the place of loving like that, you don't have to fear. There's no separation between you and other people when you do that, which is kind of awesomely weird and weirdly awesome. So let's get more specific for a little bit. I want to go through and show you some things that only God can do. And the first of those is this. Only God can draw people to himself. You can't do that. You can't draw people to God. And I want to explain that to you. 
there was a really big push for this, and there still is in some theological uh, circles and tribes, where the church developed systems to try and draw people to God. One of them was called like the four spiritual laws and stuff like that, which was basically like scare tactics to frighten people into a relationship with God. Which, you know, how messed up is that? You can't draw people to God. And this is important because you're wasting your time when somebody isn't really looking for God in your life. I know you don't probably hear a lot of pastors say that or preachers say that. But you're wasting your time trying to convince someone when they aren't really looking for God in their life. Like, Jesus doesn't waste his time with this. He even tells his disciples to look for people of peace. In other words, God's already working in some people's life somewhere, and they are looking for God. And he's like, go for those people. This is spelled out in the scriptures most specifically in Luke 10, when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to share the gospel. So there's some more homework for you. Go read Luke 10 uh, and read it with an eye to what we're talking about today. But we also see it working in all kinds of scriptural stories in the lives of people like the centurion in Luke 7 or the Samaritan woman in John 4 or Cornelius in Acts 10 or Lydia in Acts 16. All these people were people of peace. So having an understanding of this and keeping your eye open for where God is working in certain people's lives, like they're asking you about God or they're asking questions about God in your presence. Those are the people who are open to God. And on the op opposite side of that, Trying to bulldoze Jesus into people's lives who aren't looking for God? That's a recipe for disaster. And I want you to hear me on this, please, because you can't argue people into the kingdom of God. It's important to know some apologetics, like all the scientific answers and that kind of thing. But, you know, th there's a lot of apologetic stuff out there that tries to dismiss science and or twist it. But you never ever see Jesus trying to convince people of the gospel that way. No, I think Jesus believes in science. I mean... Do you really think you can logically kind of lawyer people into a real relationship with God? No. You love them with the love of Jesus because you're in a real and growing relationship with God. And you're patient about it with them. I want you to listen to this though. These are the words of Jesus in John 6:44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. So that says nobody comes to God unless God draws him. Now here's the thing. The word draw there is literally translated as to be brought to a point of decision. God is going to do everything that he can to show you who he is so that you can be brought to the point of decision. He's going to keep inviting you and keep inviting you and keep inviting you over and over and over again. And you have the choice to accept the invitation or not. And that matters because... If you see somebody, maybe even somebody you've been praying for for a long time, and you see them all of a sudden, to, and they begin to ask spiritual questions or things about God, that is not an accident. That is God at work. Recognize it for what it is, and then have the courage to step into it. Because what a lot of us do is we go to work, or you'll have a friend, and all of a sudden they bring up spiritual things. They start talking about God, and you're like, oh my gosh, I gotta call the pastor! Nope. Nope on a rope. Do not do that. If you call me and you say, man, my friend and I were talking and they started, talk, and they started talking about the Bible and asking questions about God and meaning of life. I need, to, I need to talk to you. I'm calling you because I need your help. I need you to come over here and help me. And here's what I'm going to say to you. I love you. Let me know how it goes. Because that is God's invitation for you. It is not God's invitation for you to drag me away from my family and the other invitations God has for me. Like, I get calls like this 
all the time in different ways and shapes and forms, like as if only the elders of the pastor are able to take communion to someone who's homebound or in the hospital. And I want you to listen to me here. If someone's in your small group or your Bible study or you know them from church and they call you with a need to figure it out, like they have something that's really important, then you need to figure it out and delegate maybe or form a team to help you instead of trying to escape from the responsibility when it makes you uncomfortable. It is God's invitation to you. And if you're like, man, I don't know. I've never done that before. Well, you got from now until then to get prepared. For real. Pick up your Bible and read it and get busy and get after it. Because here's the truth. This leads us into the second thing only God can do. Only God can cause people to seek him. Only God draws people to himself and only God can cause people to seek him. Romans 3, verse 10 through 18. You might want to read that whole thing. I'm not going to put it all up here for you today. But it talks about this. The preamble to that section of scripture states a truth that's hard to deal with. It says in verse 11 that there is no one who seeks God. Paul is saying that all of us, all of us don't want to seek God's truth. And we're all under the power of sin. And it follows then that if anybody is seeking God, if someone is genuinely asking questions about God, then that is God at work in their lives. So when you hear people talking spiritual conversations, where they actually come to you and ask a question, for example, it could be some like really simple comment or statement like, there's got to be more to life than this. Is this all there is? Maybe that's your invitation if you're paying attention because people don't usually come to that conclusion on their own. That's God's invitation to you to step into that person's life. Not just like bluster in and bulldozer in, but step in carefully and intentionally, prayerfully. Here's what, I, here's what I like calling it. I like calling it going fishing, which is nice because I think Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 4, 19, he said, follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. So let me show you how it works. I mean, I like, I don't know if you know this about me, but I like to fly fish and I like it for a lot of reasons because I like to catch fish, but I, I just like being out on the water and it helps me think. I pray when I'm out there. I enjoy the rhythm of casting. I like the logical process of figuring out what the hatch is at a certain time of the year in a particular season and then matching my flies to that to see what the fish are biting on. And it's also good to just have pure solitude out there every once in a while. I like knowing a particular stretch of water on a particular river really well. You know, for instance, I know the Owyhee River in eastern Oregon really, really well. And I haven't been there in years, but I know it in my memory so well. It's a trophy brown trout fishing area. I mean, I, I know it so well that I've been there before. I've been on one side of the river and I've been pulling in fish left and right, like every other cast. And I can see some really rich dudes with an expensive guided fishing tour outfit on the other side. And they're getting skunked all day long. And the guide is out there looking at me, looking at me with, this, with daggers in his eyes saying, get the heck out of here. You're making me look like an idiot, you know, because they're not catching anything. And I'm just... I'm slaying them, you know? But even armed with all that knowledge and a lot of experience and expertise under my belt, what I know is that I could fish a certain spot on that river one day and just like slam it and catch fish every other cast. Fish on, cast, miss. Fish on, cat, you know? But the next day I could go back to the exact same spot and try every fly I have in an endless number of combinations and get absolutely zero bites, a big fat zero. Sometimes you go back and nothing works until you find the right fly for the conditions or you have to get there earlier or later in the day and find the right lure, you know? This is fishing. Now here's how this relates. Let's say you go to work tomorrow and your friend asks you, hey man, 
what'd you do this weekend? And you're like, oh man, I went to church. I went to church and the sermon was amazing. Or I watched the sermon on YouTube and it was awesome. And, and they're like, ooh. Or they're like, anyways, so I went to this concert or I went skiing or I went with my family here and they brush you off. They ignore you. What have you learned? That approach didn't work. So don't try to force it. Don't double down and be like, hey, let me show you about this sermon. You know, don't chase them down and try to tell them what you learned from the sermon. Or maybe like this, a friend of yours. And don't do this with some random person you meet in line at the grocery store who you have no real relationship with. But let's say a friend, someone you know, comes to you and says, I'm having a really hard time. I'm struggling with this or that or, or this other thing in, in this relationship in my life or whatever. And you can say, can I pray for you? And then if they say, oh, yes, I would love it if you pray for me. Fish on. I mean, they might not be accepting Jesus that day, but it's a step in the right direction if they say, yes, please, I would love that. And here's why this matters. This approach, this metaphor of fishing takes the pressure off you because you were never expected to force Jesus down anybody's throat. So don't do it. I want you to remember Luke 10 about people of peace. We're really looking for people who are open to the prompting of the Spirit, not people who are diametrically opposed to the good news. So you can try and bulldoze them and have a theological boxing match with them to get them into heaven. That is not it. You just have to be aware of God in your own life to be able to see where he's working around you. And then you just join him where he's already doing stuff. So when somebody comes to you or to me with a spiritual question, recognize that God is at work. Now there's some people who are like, I'm gonna get me a sandwich board and a bullhorn. I'm gonna go stand in the corner and shout Jesus at people, you know? And I know some pastors who might say, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, you know, go do that if you want, if you feel like God is telling you that. And I would tell you, no, I'm gonna tell you from my own personal experience, I don't think that works at all. In fact, I think it turns people away from God in this day and age. And it makes the rest of us look like crazy people. So stop doing it. I mean, when I was going to Arizona State back in the 90s, I would watch guys standing up outside of the student union, the Memorial Union there, while everyone was headed for lunch. Uh, and they would have picket signs and bullhorns and they would shout at people that they were gonna go to hell if they didn't accept, accept Jesus into their hearts. And sometimes, the shouting matches, like they started, people started like yelling at each other. And other times it even led to like physical altercations. And then, and then like campus security had to come get involved. And then here's this person who thinks they're a Christian and they're literally fighting with the person that they say they love and care about, that they don't want to go to hell, but they're acting like they hate them. And the question is, do we ever see Jesus sharing the gospel with a bullhorn? Do we ever see him invading people's space who don't want him there? Do we see him doubling down and chasing anybody? You gotta believe me. I never heard anybody say that they were walking down the street and somebody yelled at them about Jesus through a bullhorn and that's when they accepted and believed in Jesus. And I doubt any of you have either. What I have seen happen over and over again is when we live out our lives where we're consistent in practicing the character and skill set of Jesus in a way that he would want us to do, and we're dialed in to what the Lord is doing in us, then we're able to be aware of what's going around us. And that's a big deal. And that leads us to the third thing only God is able to do. Only God is able to reveal spiritual truth. John 14, verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
he would teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What that says is that only God can do that. So when somebody comes to you and they say something like, I was thinking about life and now I'm just wondering if this is all there is to existence. When you have those kind of conversations with your friends, like, I think we don't recognize that these conversations, I, I, don't, think, I don't think we recognize them for what they are. I mean, even if, like, if you're, by the way, for those of you who are listening to this online or on our podcast, do you think it was an accident that you're listening to this? Like, you might think it is. Like, but you've, maybe you've been searching and it's led you here. Maybe it's, maybe it's time to recognize that God has got a hold of your heart. Maybe you just ought to let him have it and start following him right now. I'm just saying, you know. It's going to go way better if you start giving it a try now because God knows you and he loves you and he's got you. Seriously, I'm not just, I'm not just saying it. God is not just true. God and his way for life is better than anything you and I could come up with on our own. And I've tried it, and it doesn't work well. Now here's the fourth thing. Only God convicts the world about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. And it says so in John 16, verse 8. Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and it says this. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And what that says is, that's God's job. It's not your job. And you got to let God do his job. Stop trying to do God's job because you're not good at it. And I'm not good at that part. You know, like when we try to do that. It ends up not working out very well. And the tension that we have, and I want to recognize this, the tension that we have is, well, then do we ever talk about God? Do we, do we never bring God into the conversation? Well, no, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But at the same time, you need to be careful about how you talk about God with people who don't follow him especially wherever your context is. Some context is really, really important to understand that. It's really important for us to understand that God is the one who convicts people. He's the one who convicts people about sin, righteousness, and judgment. God is the one who says to people, maybe there's more for you than what you're doing with your life right now. And hopefully, this is freeing for you because all you have to do is be present and available when that happens in someone's life. But when this happens in someone else's life, the situation demands that I'm in relationship with other people. And it also demands that I'm in relationship with other people who aren't in relationship with God yet. And then it further demands that I'm in relationship with God so that I can do this relational thing appropriately with other people. I have to be dialed in with God enough to see where he's working, what he's up to. And so you have this character from him and you don't say stupid or dangerous things or ignorant things and at the end of the day when you see god bring conviction in a person's life like he he brings them to the point where they're looking to make a decision about following him if you see it and you're not making it up they're not making it up or full of wishful thinking then that's god speaking to you too that's god's invitation to you to join him where he's working so if we stop trying to force feed people the gospel and just walk the gospel out it can be incredible it's incredible how much you can see God at work around us when, when you become aware of that. Just be aware. Just be looking for where God's working. And what happens is, what happens too many times is we get up in the morning and we might say something like, Lord, you know, just use me today. And then we sit down at the end of the day or the week or the month or the year or the decade and we're like, God, you never used me. And it's because you were expecting him to hit you with a spiritual two by four but you missed a thousand opportunities to join him in his work because you weren't dialed in enough to notice it. 
It's not that God isn't working. Jesus says that, John, that God is always at his work. God is always working. He says it in John 5, uh, verse 17, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. But Jesus also says a few verses later in John 5, verse 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. And I think that is the key to the kingdom life. God is always working, and my job is to join him in his work. And it's not hard. God is not elusive. He's not hard to find out there. If you're dialed in enough to look, then we've got to let God do his part. Only God draws people. Only God causes people to seek him. Only God reveals spiritual truth. And only God convicts the world. Let's let God do that because only he can. We can't. We have to do our part. Now, there's all kinds of implications and challenges for this that can, be, that can be extrapolated from this. And maybe for many of you right now, you're praying for somebody that you've been praying for for a long time, maybe for years, to come to Christ, to, to know God. Somebody that you love very much, and I get that. And I hear that story a lot. And I want to tell you that there's hope and that you should hang in there and keep praying. Don't force them, though. Keep praying and then work, watch where God's working in their life and then join him there. The first implication is God is the source of all wisdom. And the question is, do you believe that? His wisdom is for our good. God is not just trying to control you. He's actually trying to free you, to set you free. And it's our own foolishness that keeps us trapped and bound up and chained. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and to its fullest. And that's his desire for you, to have the fullest life possible. His wisdom is for our good. So stop trying to improve on his plan, okay? So that leads us to our next one. Stop trying to improve on his plan. We can't improve on God's plan. No matter how much you want to, you can't improve on God's plan. What we have to do is to learn to trust it. Um, when we do, what happens to us, all, all the anxiety, all the managing of all the details, the heavy load and weight of living this life, when we trust him, it goes away, when we trust his plan. I saw an example of this when I was asking Craig and Allison Fowler our missionaries of Ethiopia last week, I asked them a bunch of questions. Um, I said, what are your plans for this and that? And then I asked them a bunch of things. And the response lined up really well with this. They said, you know, we've been doing this. We've been here in Ethiopia for 20 years doing this work. We've learned that we have to do our part. And sometimes we get the results we desire and sometimes we don't. We've seen a lot of fruit recently in the last few years, way more than in the first years we were there. We've learned that sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. But we've also learned to trust what God is up to and not sweat the details too much anymore. So for those of you who are burdened by details right now, who are weighed down by managing all the things in this world, all the cares, don't kill yourself, you know? If you long for peace, learn that God's plan is better than anything else you can come up with. And he's already got the details covered. You can rest in that. The next implication is that God works in people as he sees fit and also in his time. And I know for a lot of us, we've been praying for people for a long time. And maybe it feels like you've been praying into the void. We want evidence that God is hearing our prayers. But I want you to hear me. God works in his time and in his way. And he is faithful. He knows what needs to happen. I think a lot of us want to be, you know, kind of like the closer the one that's there, the moment that person we're praying for says yes to Jesus or God. 
Uh, and it's much more likely though that you're kind of like a bumper pad for a pinball to bounce off of and somebody else is going to be the closer. You're an important and integral part of their story, uh, but you're not the one who quote unquote seals the deal. If it's really about that person coming to Jesus and not about feeding, you know, your need or my need for our ego, you know, to be the one that makes it happen, then just relax and keep praying. Just relax and keep praying for them. The last implication is this. Learning to trust God's plan and his timing, it's hard work, but it will create a deeper relationship with him and with other people than we could ever imagine. It's not always the case, but a lot of our worry and stress is evidence that we're, that we're having a hard time trusting God's work and his plan. Trusting God because we know his plan is right and true, that helps us not to worry. And I would suggest this, and it's one of the reasons we take communion each week. It's because there's really not a truth we can learn from the scriptures that will ever be applied as long as we try to hold on to our own life and our own will and our own way of living it. If you're going to have real lasting peace in your life, then let God do his part. You know, you're going to have to lay down your own agenda. This is part of what communion is, is for. For us it's a reminder of what it looks like to lay our life down for other people like Jesus did doing that each week as we gather when we take communion it reminds us that on the night that Jesus was was betrayed he broke bread and he gave it to them he gave thanks and he said remember me when you do this whenever you eat this bread do it in remembrance of me and in the same way after dinner he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you so whenever you drink this cup do it in remembrance of me and what we see there is him modeling, laying down of his life and his agenda and his will to follow the will of God and how much blessing that would bring to everyone else. So that's it for this week. I want to invite you back next week as we talk about their part and the following week as we talk about your part. And we're going to get really nitty gritty with practices and how to be aware and how to grow in up and how to grow uh, in our relationship with God and relationship with others, how to deepen that capacity and the energy we have for that. I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message as a precursor to this one so you know what we're talking about when we jump into next week. Until next time, I'm Worth Wheeler for West Seattle Christian Church. Stay rooted and deep in Jesus and produce good fruit, my friends.